Welcome to the TCO Method, the only show focused on helping you massively increase your net operating income. I am Andy McQuaid, and I want to thank you for tuning in to this first episode of the TCO Method. Today we're going to talk a little bit about something I like to call two cars, no brains. Yes, two cars, no brains. It's catchy. People are probably going to get ticked at me for talking about it this way, but it is what it is. So without further ado, let's get right into it. So the TCO method is something I created over the last four years. Uh, really, I guess I created it over two and a half years because it's been a thing since uh, the end of 2021. And the TCO method takes a whole bunch of different business practices and crunches it into a format for real estate that helps owners, operators, and investors make more money by doing things a little bit better in their real estate operations every single day. TCO, in case we didn't talk about it on the last episode, the introductory episode, episode zero, Apologies for the loud motorcycle that just drove by my house while I'm filming this. In any event, the TCO method, TCO stands for total cost of ownership, right? And so the plans for disposition of the property or the portfolio change depending on whether the plan is to keep it for 20 years or if you're going to flip it and sell it in a year. And it doesn't matter if we're talking about a single family home, duplex, quad, six up, 10 up makes no difference. The principles that apply to my bread and butter cookie cutter customer, which is commercial multifamily, right? 100 plus doors at a complex, sweet spots 300 to 650 or more. Um, but obviously there's not a lot of 650 door apartment complexes out there using it yet but the best success has always come off of those because it scales the best. In any event, this show is dedicated to discussing and teaching some of the stuff that goes into operating properties for income, but I don't want to talk about tenants unless it's talking about how to make more money from tenants being in the property or how to make more money by reducing the costs incurred by having tenants in your property or how to operate your property in a way that puts more money to the bottom line across over a dozen, maybe 15 different lines on your P&L, right? Net operating income includes everything except for your capital expenditures, cash reserves, and income taxes. Now, the problem is that for the last, call it 14 years, quantitative easing and near zero interest rates and all of those other things have made real estate very profitable. The problem with that has been that that profitable real estate was being operated in a way that throughout 
operational best practices and standards that have been established for 40 or more years prior to that. Zero interest rate made it so bad business ideas and bad operational practices still made money. Free money is stupid, okay? If you don't agree that all that free money is the reason why we're seeing bank collapses, is the reason why we're seeing investors being told that their distributions have been paused, is the reason why we're seeing capital calls on syndicated properties, whether it's industrial, multifamily, whatever, free money and a lack of understanding of reality and bad risk management practices are why the industry is suffering the way it's suffering now. Okay? You don't have to like it. If you don't agree with me, send me an email. Tell me why you don't agree with me. Give me facts. I said this on the last preview episode. I'm saying this now. Email me, podcast at tcomethod.com. I'll either talk about it on the show or I'll respond in an email. However, if you're just going to email me and tell me I'm stupid and that I'm wrong, then you need to back it up. Tell me why I'm stupid and wrong. And if I think your argument is good, I'll change my mind and I'll talk about it on the show. If you don't think that that's, you know, if, if you're not going to bother to do that, if you don't think that that's worth your time, then don't bother emailing me. Because if you're just going to call me ugly, I knew that already. I have a face made for radio, which is why I'm doing this podcast. I just happen to be putting it up on YouTube, too, because I'm going to have guests and stuff, and I want to get in the habit and make sure recording is good. So, anyway, we're going to talk a little bit about politics occasionally on this show. If you're just tuning in for the first time, thank you very much. I am Andy McQuaid. I am uh, the creator of the TCO Method. I wrote a book on it, which isn't out yet. Pre-orders should be going live in the next few weeks. Uh, if you're interested, go to tcomethod.com and take a look. Uh, I teach some courses on the TCO Method. I'm very involved in the local... Home Builders Association here in Rochester, New York. I am very involved with the local uh, Real Estate Investors Association here in Rochester, New York. And I've been involved in real estate and construction in various forms since 1997. The first 20 plus years of that as a provider of goods and services. And the last four years as a consultant providing services to large multifamily operators um, that are looking to make more money, improving their NOI, right? So the TCO method massively increases your NOI, net operating income. And that's what the show is focused on. I want everyone in my audience, which is probably three people right now, Everyone in my audience, I want you to understand that this show is made specifically for real estate operators, investors, and owners that are looking to do things a little bit differently to make some money, right? Times are tough. Costs have gone through the roof for the last two years. Interest rates are stupid. 
NOI is a big problem. Lots and lots of operators are being surprised right now by the fact that their insurance has doubled in some cases. Lots of operators are being surprised by the fact that they have to now pay more in property taxes for that property that they just put a note on and registered with the county office that's double or triple what they paid for that property. Like, hey, guys, surprise. If your property value goes up and you record a mortgage at the county, your taxes are going to go up. I don't know how else to explain it. It's not a hard concept, and yet we still manage to miss it. Stuff happens. We get busy, right? Lots and lots of operators out there. Majority of operators in real estate get very, very involved in their business. And they forget that they need to take a step back and work on their business, right? It's like not being able to see the forest through the trees. All these cliches that everybody says, you know, blah, blah, blah. You can't see the forest from the trees. Well, no, you probably can't because you're literally standing in front of a tree, staring at it from three inches away. And it's not your fault. I mean, it is your fault, but it's easy to get sucked in to the day-to-day of your business and not actually realize that you're so focused on the day-to-day that you're not doing the things you need to do to hit your goals. And everybody wants to make money. That's always a goal. Yeah, right. You're, you're correct. Everybody wants to make money. And yet, over three dozen customers that I've worked with in the last four years that are specifically in real estate. I'm not talking about, you know, the big three consulting firms. I'm not talking about the banks that I talk to. I'm not talking about the investors that, that the banks call me and have me speak to about certain products in the States. I'm not talking about any of the crazy, weird, you know, projects I've done before. I'm just talking about in the day-to-day operations that I walk into that are specifically involved in real estate. All of them want to make more money, right? And yet every single one that I have done a project for is lighting money on fire because they don't actually understand what everything costs them. Right? And this is why this episode is called Two Cars, No Brains. And I don't know that I'm going to tell everybody what my episodes are called beforehand, but this one seemed to be a good hook, so I'm going to talk about Two Cars, No Brains. What is Two Cars, No Brains? Two Cars, No Brains is an adapted story from a client that I've done work for where they had a choice to make. Specifically, a project manager doing a construction project, but it was a direct employee, right? Because sometimes we see that that some of these larger operators more experienced operators will bring an internal team in to do a rehab on a house or an apartment or whatever because you get more you know you get more cost controls you get more write-offs in some cases but more importantly you can guarantee quality of work you can make sure that you've got control on the job and the supply chain you can make sure that things are done to the satisfaction of you know, your, your operational standards, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a lot that goes into deciding whether or not you're going to operate a rehab or a turn or a green up or a CapEx project with your own crew. 
And a lot of that is understanding what the skill sets of your crew is. And some are better than others, right? Priorities change. So the industry as a whole, in case you've been asleep, um, has seen costs skyrocket. So there's a lot of pressure to get things done quickly. Number one, because of the delays that have littered this, this industry for the last three or four years, thanks to the pandemic. Number two, um, because the cost of labor has gone up. So the faster you can turn a project, the, you know, the more money you stand to make because you're, you're going to have less downtime. You're going to be able to lease that unit and get somebody in there and make more money. So time is money. Money is money, right? Utilities are money. Labor is money. Overhead is money. It's all money. Everything's money, right? At least it should be. And yet, and yet, I constantly see these businesses that just light money on fire because they've always done it that way. And that's always the answer. I like this because I've always done it this way. Or I like this because I found it on XYZ. Or I do things this way because it's always worked for us in the past. But then when you sit down with them and you, you kind of open up the books and you look at what they're doing and maybe some of the alternates that have come out in the last five or 10 or 15 years, depending on how established this operator is, and you can show them on paper, like legitimately what you're doing is costing you five figures a year from one item that you're using in your properties. And there's almost always pushback, right? There's almost always, I've been doing this forever and I know what I'm doing and I'm never wrong. Okay. And those people aren't coachable and I won't work with those people nine times out of 10. Sometimes they just haven't looked at it in the right light. And you can usually figure that out when you sit down with them within a half hour to 45 minutes. There are some people who will religiously, and I say religiously, like I've never seen them not like religiously step over dollars to pick up pennies. It just is what it is. You can't fix those people. Okay. And I don't waste my time like trying to help them. Like if they want to change what they're doing, they need to actually show that they're going to do what I'm telling them to do. Because the job of a consultant is to go into a customer's office and to leave them in a better position than before you walked in the door. Like when I complete a project, I want to make sure that my client has the results that we talked about. It does not help me to go in and consult on something and have things stay the way they were. Like that's not good for me. That's not good for my name or my reputation. It's not good for my customer because then they've paid me for something they didn't get. Now, have I had clients that have hired me to help them with things where the things we talked about didn't happen? Yeah, of course. It happens. But it also happens with an understanding of, I'm one dude, this is your show. I mean, this, this is my show. This is the TCO method. This is my podcast. But this is your show, as in this is your business operation. And I can tell you 
what you need to do. I can show you how to do it. I cannot force you to do it right. I also can't force your employees to buy into it when you're not looking. There's a reason why I only talk to V-level, C-level, and owners. Because when I start talking about, hey, we're going to do this thing called the TCO method, and we're going to completely change how you think about how you run your operations on maintenance, capex, and purchasing, and procurement, if you even have a procurement, which most don't. Eyes glaze over when you say procurement. More on that later. But when you go into an office and you talk to what we call in sales a gatekeeper, you say, hey, I'm here. I want to talk to Bob. And Bob, Bob, I want to save you money. Well, if that gatekeeper is a secretary, their job is to keep you the heck out of the, the Bob's office. Okay, If that gatekeeper you're talking to is somebody whose job is going to be directly impacted by what you tell the boss, they're going to do everything in their power to keep you away from that boss. And you might talk to somebody, you might walk in the door and you might say something like, hey, I'm here to save you money. And I can do it and this and this and this and this. And here's what my older, old customers have said. And here's all the cool stuff I've done. And this is where I've been and who I've worked with. And la, 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 la. If you walk into that boss's office and you make it look like that dude that's running their outside their uh, uh, maintenance crew or that dude who runs their capex crew or that office manager looks like they've been asleep at the switch for the last five or ten years you're never gonna get to see that boss that's reality there's a lot of ego in construction there's also a lot of i've been doing it this way for forever and why should i change if it works like i get it but in case you haven't looked around, times are tough right now. No one wants to fire their people because you can't find people to replace them. Okay? No one wants to go out and get rid of a vendor that's been with them for 25 years. The cost of making changes like that is astronomical when you actually look at it on paper. It's stupid how much money goes away. But if you're operating a business to make money, right? To put food on your table and your employees' table, why wouldn't you at least look at a way to make five or six or more figures every single year? The TCO method is focused on making more money by increasing NOI through better decision-making without having to terminate employees. You don't have to lay anybody off. You don't have to fire anybody unless they're a complete screw-up who refuses to change, right? The goal of TCO method is not to increase NOI through deferred maintenance or through cutting labor headcount. Those are not the goals of the TCO method. You may be able to reduce headcount. 
potentially. But instead of reducing headcount, why aren't we doing what smarter businesses are doing outside the real estate industry? Where when we have unused hours, when, we, when we're paying somebody to not be productive, well, why aren't we creating ways for them to be more productive? Why aren't we taking people with downtime and putting them on things that can help make the company more money or address more issues, right? So all of these things go into two cars, no brains. So we're going to go back and we're going to talk a little bit about this, this decision maker at this property management firm who had a choice and was offered two, all, two, two options, okay? And we're going to reframe this in the interests of privacy for my clients or potential clients in this case, where they could have purchased vehicle one. Vehicle one is $20,000. Has a one-year warranty. We're making this up, okay? It's not really a car. If there was a car out there that came with a one-year warranty from the factory, no one would buy it. But all things being equal, this is a story. Just run with it, okay? Thank you. Car two. Car two is 35000 Okay, so car one, 20. Car two, 35. They look the same. They take the same amount of gas. Car two gets way better gas mileage. All right, car one gets 20 miles to a gallon. Car two gets 35 miles to a gallon. Okay, car one is 20,000. Car two is 35,000. See the thing here? 20, 35, 20, 35. All right, anyway. For those of you not watching on YouTube, I'm waving my hands around because it's what I do when I talk. So it is what it is. Anyway, car one with the one year warranty that was 20 grand that gets 20 miles to a gallon also has predictable maintenance that needs to be done to it. Right? I'm not just talking oil changes, right? That's that's part of the daily whatever. But there's certain things that are known to fail on vehicle one. Now all things being equal, vehicle one and two look the same. Same brand, let's say, same company, you're gonna buy it from the same dealer. Same relationship. Okay. So level the playing field. More money. Better warranty, because the $35,000 vehicle 2, that one's got a five-year warranty, okay? So you got a one-year warranty, five-year warranty. But we know that this vehicle, both of them, they're going to require oil changes, they're going to require gas, they're going to require new tires, brakes, all the things that aren't covered by warranty, right? Just operational stuff. We also know that Anything that breaks is going to be on you after year one for the $20,000 car. The $35,000 car, that one, you're not going to own the stuff that breaks unless you break it by getting in a car accident or hitting it with a sledgehammer, right? Or, or if, you know, you neglect it in some way where they can say your warranty is void vehicle too. So we know things are going to start failing because we do some research, right? Vehicle one is known to have, you know, bad wheel hubs and they start going bad. And I'm sorry for anybody who's listening to this, who's not a car person. 
it, it just is what I do. Sorry. It won't all be car analogies, I promise. This is this is the only car analogy I have planned so far. Anyway, we know that car one is going to have a bad wheel hub. We know that car two is going to have a bad wheel hub. They bought it from some second-rate factory in China. I don't know what to tell you. In any case, they use the same wheel hub on both vehicles. <clears throat> it's a problem for vehicle one because it's out of warranty in a year. So you're going to pay the materials and the labor to correct that problem when it fails before your wheel falls off while you're driving down the highway. Vehicle two, well, we know it's going to have the same problem, but it's going to be free. And we're not going to have to pay the, the maintenance, the labor or the materials for that for up to five years. Cool. And we'll just say that's the only problem with it. We're not going to get into the fact that vehicle one that gets 20 miles to a gallon, well, after about three years, miles is going to go down. Like, it's going to go from 20 miles to a gallon to, like, 15. Because there's just stuff that wears out that needs to be replaced. And most of the time, it's not going to get replaced. So you're just going to deal with the 15 miles to a gallon for Vehicle 1. Vehicle 2? Vehicle 2 doesn't have that problem for 15 years. Forget the warranty being five years. It just doesn't happen to vehicle two for 15, okay? So, there's that. Now, looking at this on paper, I've got a $20,000 vehicle. I've got a $35,000 vehicle. That's 15 grand. That's a lot of money, right? And I'm going to drive the average mileage. I'm going to drive 12,000 miles a year. So I've got vehicle one at 20 miles to a gallon right now, because we're not to year three yet. And I got vehicle two that gets 35. And we're going to do 12,000 miles for both. And I said I'm not going to do math in the introductory episode or the preview episode. I said I'm not going to do math, and I'm not. So we're just going to say vehicle two, from a fueling standpoint, costs a lot less to take care of to pay that bill, because it's going to get a lot more miles per tank. So a lot fewer tanks to fill up than vehicle one. Okay. How long are you going to keep the vehicle for? That matters. Are you going to keep this vehicle for a year? Because maybe if you're only going to keep the vehicle for a year, the $20,000 vehicle is a better buy. Well, why do you say that, Andy? That doesn't sound right. Why would you want to pollute like that, Andy? I'm not talking about pollution. This is strictly numbers that can be proven out on paper involving the finances of operating we're not getting into secondary issues right now that's for another day vehicle one might only get 20 miles to a gallon but i'm only going to keep it for a year i'm not going to have to pay for that wheel hub that's going to fail on year two okay i'm not going to have to really worry about Spending an extra $15,000 to offset the cost of vehicle two on vehicle one, because I'm going to get rid of it in a year. So if I'm going to keep it for a year, it makes more sense to buy the $20,000 vehicle. And you just deal with the fuel until you unload that vehicle. But you're only keeping it for the warranty period. It's gone. Now, when you're comparing vehicle one and vehicle two and you're looking at the cost over five years, right? So let's still assume we're getting rid of it when the warranty runs out. We're not going to keep it past warranty. We're not going to drive the wheels off of it. Okay. Remember, this is called two, two cars, no brains. 
We'll get to the stupid shortly. Vehicle 2 has a five-year warranty, right? Vehicle 1 has one year. We know we're going to get a wheel hub every two years on Vehicle 1. And we're going to pretend that that's the only issue other than at year 3, fuel usage goes up. Because you're going to lose 5, five, five MPG. Okay. So, in year 1, costs are equal, with the exception of the Vehicle 2 having a higher car payment. Okay. And Vehicle 1 is going to spend more in gas. So let's call that a wash on year 1 and 2. And in year 2, Vehicle 1, the $20,000 20 MPG failing wheel bearing has a wheel bearing fail. And it doesn't fail while you're driving on the road and you don't kill anybody. There's no insurance claim. You're lucky. You get it fixed. Call it 1000 bucks. Okay? Vehicle 2 has the same problem. 35,000, 35 miles to a gallon. But that repair is free. No labor, no materials. Got it. And then another year goes by and all of a sudden your gas mileage on vehicle one goes down to 15. Okay. Wheel bearing still got half its life left. And the vehicle still going strong at 35 miles a gallon. What you're spending on the two vehicles now is, has shifted Right, your annual expense for your payment for the twenty thousand dollar car is now equivalent to what you're spending on the thirty-five thousand. Your four. Another wheel bearing. Dang it. So your wheel bearing, now you're now you're too deep, and guess what? Inflation. So now that wheel bearing costs you twelve hundred bucks this year to repair to repair. Dang, that stinks. All things are equal. It's looking Really bad for vehicle one right now. I think it was cheaper. It's falling apart. I had to pay for those repairs, blah, blah, blah. Okay, year five comes along. All repairs are still covered. Still getting 35 miles to a gallon. This thing's a freaking jalopy over at vehicle one, right? It's just depreciated like crazy. It's just, it's, it's garbage. It's, it's, yeah, I'm not going to name any brand names because I'll get in trouble with somebody. So now you've got these two vehicles. And when you go to total everything up, right? You're paying them off. It's the end of year five. Both loans are gone. If you're buying a vehicle with a 72-month loan or longer, you're doing it wrong. Okay. If your loan outlasts your warranty, you're doing it wrong. The end. Um, all right. Anyway. You've now spent more money overall on vehicle one than two at the end of year five. Interest rates were the same. Payments were obviously different because there were different dollar amounts. But the maintenance in the day-to-day -day operations killed you on vehicle one. Now we're going to apply this into property management. We're going to apply this into a product that was purchased for a property. And then we're going to look at it at scale across, say... 700 doors. Okay. So now you're going to take a difference in cost annually. And you're going to multiply it out by the number of units. And you're going to multiply it out by the number of years you plan to own that property. 
So all things being equal, if you're holding that property for one year, that $20,000 car looks really good. Because you're not spending anything extra above and beyond what the other one would have, except for a little bit of fuel. But the fuel is offset by, you know, the, the, the extra gas mileage for the other vehicle that the other vehicle gets. So you're getting better mileage, but you're not going to make $15,000 back in better mileage in a year. It's just not going to happen. Unless your gas is $42 a gallon, which I'm sure is where we're heading at some point in America in the future. But right now... We're dealing in reality, not in the maybes. So for a one-year hold, vehicle A is really nice. Especially at scale. You saved yourself a ton of money. Cheaper is better, right? Look at my NOI. I had to spend the money anyway. I maximized my profit. Because this particular feature, you know, until we look at a long-term play over two or three years of NOI, we don't know what that's really going to look like. We're just hoping to hit that 50% so that we can say this is an, a, a good operation. We're at 95% occupancy and we're good to go. This particular thing doesn't add to the value of the rent. It just does not. You cannot raise rent because you installed this car into your property. All right. So now let's, let's look at it from an investor standpoint at a five-year hold, okay? And then we're going to go to 15. Five years down the road, this particular thing at scale is now costing you more money and eroding your NOI because you're using more utility, more gas. You're spending more money on repairs more regularly. And you know for a fact that you're going to continue to spend more for the foreseeable future, and you're watching it erode your NOI. So opportunity cost is a real thing, even in real estate. So you have to look at what is, what is my decision from five years ago costing me today as opposed to the NOI I could have added to this property, which doesn't just reduce costs, which increases my take-home, what I keep, but it also takes and affects what you didn't get to keep you have to weigh opportunity cost in a long-term play you have to and in this particular case you're talking about five figures a year so that's like raising rents by six figures that's like adding almost 10 times the value in NOI or in, in asset costs from that extra NOI that you've now lost because you, you chose a product that was okay for a year and is now disintegrating on year five or costing you more money on year five. And then when you look at it over 15 years, you go, well, how did that really look? What did that really cost me? And it really cost you over a million dollars just in NOI, not in potential property value, 
Not in what else could I be doing with that money to make more money. Not in how much maintenance time did that product cost me where those maintenance guys could have been doing something that helps me make more money, like doing an internal rehab unit turn, CapEx, something that helped me raise the rent. Instead, they're off fixing the car and changing the wheel hub. Right? You need to weigh all of the decisions on what you're purchasing, on what the disposition is for the, you know, what the disposition plan is for that particular property, but also what is this going to do to my business over the next five years? What is this going to do to my business over the next 10 years? And again, if you're only going to hold the property for a year, it makes no difference. Who cares? But if you're going to hold this thing for 15 years, 20 years, if you can extend the useful life of it, like who's going to keep a car for 15 years? I do, but I don't buy cheap, junky cars. I know what those are going to cost me. And it's cheaper than a car payment every single year. However, what if you had something you could put in an apartment that you don't have to change it as part of your unit turn because it's still doing what it was supposed to do with no issues after seven years or eight years, whatever your, your useful life is for your, for your apartment runos, you know, why would you not want to have something that doesn't, and, and again, it doesn't increase the rent. You can't say I put this in and now I'm going to charge you more. It's not like a granite countertop or a hardwood floor or tile or, you know, really fancy light fixtures or something that adds curb appeal. Like you can't charge more money for this. You have to have it. It serves a purpose. But you're not going to get paid more because you're using this one versus that one. That's not where it comes in. That the play is on what's that impact to your NOI and why would you want to spend the 35000 now as opposed to the 20000 now to put this thing in. And it's all about that opportunity cost and that NOI. You want to make sure that you're adding value to the property somehow with every single decision you make. It needs to meet compliance for whatever the municipality is and whatever your standards are and whatever your insurance company forces down your throat, right? You need to make sure that it's not hideously ugly and it's not going to reduce the value. You need to make sure it does the job it needs to do so your tenants don't complain. You need to make sure that your maintenance is minimized. You need to make sure that your utility use, if you're paying for it, is minimized. But you also want to make sure that it's not going to have premature failure issues that are going to cost you more down the line and that it's not going to you know its performance isn't, isn't going to degrade over time so this particular guy we're going to go back and we're going to call him bob bob paid for the twenty thousand dollar one and three years after doing that lo and behold bob gets a bill because there was an unexpected repair Oh, they're paying for the gas, but all of a sudden the gas bill went up by $20,000 in a month. And the utility's like, yeah, sorry, man. You've used it. You're paying for it. Don't really care if it got just evaporated or, or you know, used by a tenant that didn't care. Like, it's gone is gone. You're paying the bill. It doesn't really matter whether you had control over it or not. And then Bob's like, wow, that... That decision to buy those $20,000 cars was really a mistake because all of a sudden, you know, one of them or two of them, something went wrong that we weren't planning on. It wasn't a wheel bearing. And all of a sudden it cost me an extra 20 grand in a year. And I'm stuck with that bill. Yeah, you are. 
Cost avoidance. Risk management. It's a thing. You need to do it. You need to pay attention to it. So if you want specifics on what the product is, send me an email, podcast at tcomethod.com. I'm going to thank you for listening to Two Cars, No Brains, because that's what we're talking about today. And I say no brains, I love Bob. Bob's great, except for the fact that we told Bob that something like this would happen. And as much as I like saying, I told you so, Bob, I told you so. You could have paid a little bit more then to save over the life of that product. Oh, and that product actually didn't have a five-year warranty. It had a 15-year warranty. And it didn't have the problem that happened to the $20,000 car. It actually can't happen to the $20,000 car. So there's a lot of things that go into it. And having some knowledge of how things work and why things work the way they work and why something might cost $15,000 more could have a benefit if you're in it for the long play. If you're in it for the race to the bottom and you just want to make your money now, you're not going to like this show at all, and I encourage you to unsubscribe. For everybody else, thanks for tuning in. I appreciate your time. Next time, I think it'll be, I don't know when it's going to hit. Next episode's going to be good. We're not going to have a guest that's just going to be running my mouth again. But make sure you tune in because it's going to be Tuesday and Thursday every single week until the end of time. Hopefully. I'm definitely not going to be the guy who makes three podcasts and never makes another one because that's embarrassing. Thank you for tuning in to the TCO Method, the only show that helps you massively increase your NOI.